Uh, Cha has a new position here at Grace Church. She's now our missions director. Uh, she oversees all of the stuff that we do uh, internationally, nationally, and locally. And this was the first mission trip that we ever did that she ran. And it might have been probably, might have probably, I know that that's a little bit redundant and repetitive, um, but I don't know if you get, that was redundant and repetitive, which itself was, forget it. Anyway, um, she killed it this week. It was absolutely fantastic. And it probably was the best mission trip I've ever been on in my life. So Cha, thank you very much. She nailed it. Uh, so we were in Sierra Leone, West Africa um, for the past, we left Thursday a week, a week ago and then got back Friday night and it was amazing. We've been partnering uh, with New Hope Initiative uh, for all of our Africa stuff that we do. It's through New Hope Initiative. The rest of the entire world we do through MANA. We talk about MANA all the time. And actually New Hope Initiative was started out of MANA when they wanted to put more emphasis on just that one continent. So they spun off New Hope Initiative does that. Uh, the guy who started that, like I said, used to work for Manor. That's how we got connected with them. Um, but we started helping them out seven years ago. The name of the pastor of the church that we partner with, his name is um, uh, Francis Rogers. Francis Rogers was a Muslim who became a follower of Jesus uh, when he was getting close to the age of, of 20 and uh, felt like God was calling him to make sure that everybody in his nation, which predominantly it's, it's like uh, 85, 88%, something like that, uh, a Muslim country, wanted to give them more opportunities to know and to follow Jesus. So he got an education, went back near the village where he was raised, uh, and then uh, they had just come out of a civil war, and um, uh, so he started a logging business. He goes into the woods, cuts down big trees, brings them out to the road, and pays somebody to carry them off to a lumber yard, and he gets, that's, how he, that's how he earns his living. And then he was using all of his, his profit from that business to take care of all of the orphan kids running around his community. So he brought them into his personal home, uh, like six, eight, ten of them, and when it got more than that, he, out of his own pocket, paid for a building on his property for these other kids and ended up with 26. When New Hope Initiative found them, uh, uh, that's where he was at. He had 26 orphans that were living with just him and his wife and a few other people in the community that were just helping pitch in whenever they could. Now, because of our church and four other churches who kind of tag team supporting Francis Rogers, his church and his orphanage and helping them get other churches started, there are now 80 kids that are in the orphanage right now. They've got several different structures, a full school that we've helped to build that's not only educating the 80 kids that are in the orphanage, but also a lot of the kids in the community that don't have a school. And by the way, education over there is completely missing in all of these villages. In the big cities, they've got them, but in the villages, there's no education to speak of uh, whatsoever. Um, but it's educating kids all over the place. And they have started in the last seven years 15 churches Homeboy is nailing it over there. Yeah, they're doing great. All the extra money he ever gets, either from his logging business or from our personal support, he keeps reinvesting in the ministry or to help. Like he personally, out of his own pocket, is paying the salaries of three other Sierra Leonean pastors who've started churches out in different villages that are, that are, that are remote. And so we got to visit eight of the 15 churches that he started, and I preached in seven of them in one day. Uh, that's the most preaching I've ever done. And uh, <laughs> it was the same sermon over and over and over again. So it's like, no, oh, wow, seven different sermons. That was amazing. Like that study time must have been intense. No, each time it got a little bit shorter, I think, because I was just getting tired or more and more tired. And then uh, the, 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 the team that went with us were making jokes about like what my next joke was going to be. And, you know, they're like moving their mouths when I'm saying things. They had it. And, and so I said, all right, fine. If you want, want to be jerks about it, you, here's my notes. You preached at the next church. And that shut them up pretty good. So 
Um, but it was, we had a great time. It was absolutely amazing. And one of the things I love most about them, and by the way, we're doubling down on that, that project. If, if they, they are so careful with the money that we give them and are doing so much good with the little that we're doing that we're adding them to the Hope Project offering. That's the offering that we do every December where we raise as much money as possible to be as generous as possible during the one month of the year when we're thinking about getting for ourselves the most. That's the month month that we want to remind ourselves that we need to be more generous towards others. So that's why we do that during the month of December. We're adding them again to the Hope Project offering so that we can do even more. There's a pastor named Anthony that we're going to be sponsoring to go start a church who right now is still, uh, he, 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 he works full time for the church that he's at, which can't afford him. So I asked him, I said, how do you provide for your family? He says, we pray. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. I'm a pastor. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. By you just pray like what is it like how did like you can't eat prayers so like how do you how do you eat and he said people will just walk up to me and ask me if I want a chicken I'm like that just like happens to you like you wear a sign says like I'm looking for free chicken like if that worked homeboy'd be hanging out in the parking lot at Chick Fil A every day can I hear an amen all right sorry anyway. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, so like, but, but he prays, and people just like, they'll bring over some eggs, or they're like, he'll just have somebody give him a, this crazy, like this dude is like a, like a spiritual ninja, uh, and anyway, I'm, so we're going to be building him a house, and we can build him a three-bedroom, one-bath house, there's no electricity or running water, but, um, no, there's a little bit of running water, it goes to the toilet, so they can flush it, um, and it's, we can build him a three-bedroom, one-bath house for $5,000, yes, so I'm moving there two years from now. And homeboy's going to have an estate. Going to be living Lord. Okay, no, not really. So we're going to buy, build him a house, and we're going to sponsor him for the next three years to get a new church started. That's going to be part of our Hope Project. And one of the things I love most about them is their emphasis on church planting. Because they know if you feed somebody, then, then you take care of their bellies for now. But if you don't give them an opportunity to find and follow Jesus, then you've hosed them for the rest of all of eternity. You know what I mean? Like, we're not here just to put food in poor people's bellies. We're here to change people's lives and get them connected to the, to the one who created them to know him and to be loved by him. So, and, and truthfully, these churches, when they go into these communities, they'll take care of people and they'll, they'll provide resources. And, and, and it's crazy the number of Muslim people who are coming to faith in Jesus because of their generosity, because the Muslim faith there is very inward-centered. There are people who be Muslims their entire life, and when they get to be old, uh, that was just a particular story, the son died in a war and nobody in the mosque would help them out because that was the will of God that you get screwed like this. It's the will of Allah. I'm sorry you don't have anything, but tough on you. I'm taking care of me. And then when a Christian comes in and serves and loves on Muslims and Muslim orphans and he's willing to educate the children of a Muslim imam in that village, two of the 15 churches that have been started were started by imams who turned to faith in Jesus and become preachers of Jesus. I'm just telling you, God is tearing things up over there. It's awesome. It's just <laughs> a little splattering of applause. Yeah, because God, God just doing a great job. Anyway, because that's been our heartbeat is church planting. Our church is a church plant. We're like a new church startup. We've been here for 12 years. We were started out of Cape Cod Church in, in East Falmouth who sponsored us until we could get up on our own two feet. They helped us pay our electric bills and they helped pay us our, our, our rent when we were all on Page Street. A lot of churches sponsored us and helped us get going until we could take care of ourselves. But we know that to whom much is given, much is required. So we've started four other churches. Back in April, I told you that we were going to be starting two more within the next 16 to 18 months. We're 
going to be starting one in Braintree. And our hope was that that would already be going right now. But that's taken a lot longer than we thought. So, dear God in heaven, it needs to happen before Easter. Make that on your, put that on your prayer request. We want to get that thing taken care of. We need a variance on a property from the town uh, zoning board. We're on the docket for November 27th. That's got to go well, so pray for that date too. But we want to get that up and going uh, real quickly into the new year. And that's in Braintree with Pastor Taylor. And when I mentioned Pastor Taylor going to be starting Grace Church Braintree, I also mentioned that there was a guy who was going to be moving here with his family to start a church in Bridgewater. Well, they moved here in August. Now, both Taylor, who bought his home, and he moved to Braintree, and Stephen Sargent, who's going to be the pastor of Grace Church Bridgewater, they both closed on their own homes in their respective towns in the same week two weeks ago. So they're permanent residents now. Stephen is going to be the pastor of Grace Church Bridgewater. He's going to be speaking today. Uh, this Friday, we're doing the trunk or treat here in Avon. But on Saturday, Bridgewater hosts a fall festival that they needed volunteers for. And so we're taking all of the stuff that we use for our trunk or treat, and we're donating that for the day to the town of Bridgewater to use for their event. Stephen's got a church from Texas that he used to work on staff with that's coming up to man those different stations. But we don't want them walking around asking questions about Grace Church because they're from Texas. We don't want them saying nothing about our church. Like I said, they're from Texas. Their people are crazy. Um, okay, not really. Unbelievably generous people. They're going to be serving. What we need is we need Grace Church people walking around just acting as hosts for that event. So when people ask questions about Grace Church, some of you guys who've been a part of our church for a while can, can answer those questions. So if you live down in any one of the three Bridgewaters or you live down south of Brockton in any way, uh, in any area, come see Stephen in the Connection Center after the service so you can help out this Saturday. I believe it's from 10 to 2 is about the time. But anyway, so it's my, I, I've heard Steve preach uh, several times before he got here. I knew he'd do a great job, and I've got to hear him speak this weekend uh, twice now. You guys are really going to love the sermon that God's put in his heart to share with us. So if you guys would, please welcome Stephen Sargent, the pastor of Grace Church Bridgewater. Well, hey, Grace Church. It's so good to be here with you guys. Um, as Sean said, I've been a New Englander for like two months, so brand new here, um, but it's been a very busy two months. I want to show you a picture of my family. Um, some of you may have met them. My beautiful wife, Katie, she and I have been married seven years. The joke that I always tell that nobody laughs at is we met in fourth grade, but it took me 13 years to convince her that she liked me back, <laughs> right? And uh, this is my beautiful daughter, Hazel. She's two and a half. She's blonder than Barbie. And you might see her running around these halls because she may be the blondest person in New England. Uh, she is very at home wherever she goes. This is a restaurant we'd never been, and we looked over, and she was watching Curious George and kick back enjoying New England. This was like two weeks after we moved. So that is Hazel. Um, we have a second daughter um, named Holly that is 11 days old. All right, she was born October the 10th, so we have had a very busy month already. Um, we are so excited to be here. Um, as Sean mentioned, uh, I was living in Texas before this. I'm originally from Tennessee, but have spent the last six years in Texas. The last 10 years of my life, I've been a student pastor. Um, and the last four years of my life, I was living in Austin, Texas. It's a great city at a great church. Um, and one of the things that they asked me to do while I was there was to oversee our missions department. 
Um, we, at the time, were doing a lot of mission initiatives with our student ministry and were traveling and partnering with different church planters all over the country. And so I was asked to basically do what we were doing in the student ministry for the entire church. And so um, that's exactly what happened. And I kind of became the student and missions pastor. And one of our key places that we served was a church plant on the North Shore called, uh, called Restoration Road in Wakefield. And I started to take trips up here all the way from Texas and ended up taking about six different trips just in the past two years. And with each trip that I would take, I would go back to Austin and I would just talk with my wife about how much I loved New England and how much I loved Boston. And I think at first it started with, you guys have way prettier seasons and better sports teams, um, especially than Tennessee. Uh, and then over time, I think it turned into a calling. I think that God was preparing us to move our families uh, our family up here. And so we loaded up two moving trucks in August, and we drove 35 hours from Austin, Texas, um, to the South Shore, and um, here we are. And so um, I want to share something um, just about Bridgewater before we hop in. Um, the past few months, I've been sharing a little bit of what God has put on my heart for the town of Bridgewater um, just with people, um, with friends that kind of live all over the country. And one of the things that um, I've found is um, I really have a strong feeling that I think that God is a God of new waves, and I think that um, there's a new wave coming in the area of Bridgewater. We looked all over the city at where we felt like God was calling us to plant, and um, the moment that we drove through Bridgewater and we walked through and we prayer walked and we started to meet with people, we sensed that this is where God wanted us to move our families and raise our children. And so I shared that with some friends um, and, and uh, church partnerships all over the country, and um, there are people all over the country right now that already are giving to this initiative, to this new church. There are six churches and there are over 60 families that have already given to partner with Grace Church to help see a new church started in Bridgewater. The church that I came from, Bannockburn Baptist in Austin, Texas, is heavily invested. They're sending a team uh, this weekend to help us. And so uh, just know God is really up to something special. And I, and I pray that that many of you help us with this. I believe that there's people in this room that God is preparing to help us start this new church. I know that because there are people in Austin, Texas right now that are praying about moving from Austin, Texas here to start this church as well. Like not with a, not with a job at the church. Like they would just find another job in their career or they would go to school up here because they want to see God do something in Bridgewater. And I believe that he's preparing the hearts of people at Grace Church to do the same thing. So I am so excited. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to hop in. Yeah. Um, Lord, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for your grace, God, and I, I just thank you for the opportunity to share with my church family um, what you have put on my heart, God. I pray that you speak through me, that you speak through your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I want to ask you guys a question. If you were given a free ticket to any event no strings attached, what would it be? If you could go to any event, no cost, and you know that you're getting a ticket there. The VIP treatment, so if you're going to the Super Bowl, you're getting like the box suite with all the good food. Or if you're going to a concert, you're getting like the behind, you know, the backstage passes, and you're getting to meet the band. Or if you're going to the Olympics, you get like the first class ticket. Whatever that would be, think of what that ticket would be. You don't have to yell it at me right now. Just think of it. Maybe you talk about it at lunch. But... For me, that ticket would be, I'm a huge movie guy, 
And so I've always wanted to go to the Academy Awards, the Oscars. I thought that that would be a really cool event to see, to walk down the red carpet. Um, that kind of ticket you can't even really pay for. Like I couldn't hop on Craigslist and get a ticket to the Oscars. Like you've got to earn your ticket there. You've got to earn your invite. You have to have like a credible career where you did enough in the film industry so that you would be invited and get a ticket to the Oscars. That doesn't just happen. They don't just call random people and say, hey, do you want to come to the Oscars? You don't just get free tickets to the Super Bowl, right? You have to earn your way there, whether it's by having a career that you work your way up to the top and you get invited because of what you've done in your career, or you just set aside a lot of cash and you fork it over so that you can get that ticket, right? Free tickets don't just come to us. There's always strings attached to it. I remember when I was a kid and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was big. Do you guys remember that show? What I learned in, in like middle school is that that show is a lie because if you win Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you don't actually become a millionaire. You've got to pay taxes on that. And the government makes like $300,000 on you. So they love when you become a millionaire because they get $300,000 for doing nothing, right? Because nothing is free. Even when you win a game show, you've got to pay for that. We see that all over our culture, all around us, that nothing is free. We've got to earn it. And so we naturally take that mindset into our faith. And I think we naturally think that we have to earn our ticket. We have to earn God's love. We've got to earn a seat at the table in heaven. And even those of us that have been in church our whole lives and have heard the message of grace, I think still in the day-to-day, -day, it's hard for us to live out the truth that we don't have to. That it's a lie that we have to do more. I think we all kind of live under this lie, I need to do enough. I'm not doing enough. I've got to push further. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading the Bible enough. I've got so much sin and brokenness in my life, and I, I, I've got to do more to balance that out, because there's no way that Jesus can just love me for who I am. I've got to do enough to prove that I'm worthy of his love. I think we naturally think that because everything around us tells us we've got to earn it. What I love about the gospel is it tells us the opposite. Galatians 2, verse 16 says this, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, and we've believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. See, I think a lot of us grew up in churches that told us that Jesus was the door to heaven, but the key to open that door was our good deeds, was us doing good, was us living a good enough life. And I think the gospel kind of shows us that not only is Jesus the door, Jesus is the key. God's perfect love is the only thing that saves us. It's not about how much you're doing or how good you are. And in fact, nothing you do, nothing you do could ever take away from or add to how much God loves you. And I know I've heard that for a long time in my life, but in the day-to-day, -day, it's hard for me to really grasp that. I'm not sure if I really act like that. I'm not sure if I really rest in the truth that God's already done enough for me. Like, Jesus is the trophy. 
When he died on the cross for us and he was the perfect sacrifice after living a perfect life, he claimed the victory for all of us that 2,000 years later, the trophy is still there for any sinner that repents and that there's nothing we can do to add to that trophy or to take it away because the victory has already been won. Jesus already wanted all for us, and all we have to do is take that trophy into our lives. But we often don't act like that. We often act like we need to do more to prove to Jesus that we're worthy. Anybody watch the Super Bowl this year? A few of us? I can't remember who won the Falcons, right? No, they won the first three quarters of the Super Bowl, right? I was in Atlanta this past week, and they're still mourning, like we got to pray for Atlanta Falcon fans. It's bad. It's rough. That's the closest they'll ever get. I, like the Super Bowl this year, it kind of reminds me of two brothers that are playing pickup basketball in their driveway, and the Patriots are like the collegiate athlete, like really good at basketball, and they're playing with like their struggling middle school brother that's not an athlete at all. And so like for the first part of the game, they just kind of let him win because they feel bad for him, and they're like, it's so nice that you're here but now we're going to win. That's what the Super Bowl was, right? It was just, for all the Pats fans in the room, it was a beautiful moment when they finally won in overtime and they get the trophy and the confetti's coming down on the stage and everyone's giving their speeches and it's like still surreal that they came back and won this monumental game, but they get handed that trophy because they earned it. They did enough to be the world champions. I love that they claim world champions. We're like the only country that plays in the NFL, but we're the world champions. We're not just the U.S. champions. We're the world champions, patriots. How weird would it be, though, if after they've got the trophy, they're already the champions, and they clear the field, they take the stage and the confetti, and they're cleaning it up, and Tom Brady suits back up, and he grabs Edelman, rest in peace, and... He just starts throwing passes, and he's like, Edelman, I want to I get a few more touchdowns just in case, because I played pretty bad the first three quarters, and so I want to make sure that we really did do enough to get the trophy. Like, I know they gave it to us, but I want to make sure that they never take it away. So I'm just going to throw a few more touchdowns just to make sure that they never come back and say, you didn't do enough. That'd be weird, right? It'd be ridiculous. It'd be like we'd say, Tom Brady, you're getting old, but... Now it's starting to show for the first time, right? It'd be ridiculous. But that's what we do in our faith when we don't trust that Jesus has done enough and earned the trophy for us. That's what we do in our faith when we walk around with the burden that we have to do more in order to ensure that God loves us, in order to ensure that truly we can be made right with God through Jesus. God's love is enough so we don't have to be enough. He is perfection. And because of his perfection, he sees those who have repented as spiritual perfection as well. Not because we're perfect. We're still broken. We're still sinners. We still have mess in our life. But because the, he sees us the way he sees Jesus. Because we've brought Jesus into our lives. Galatians 2.17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. 
because God's love is perfect, I don't have to be. Easier said than done, though. It's easy for me to believe that, but to live it out is really difficult. I still walk around with the burden and the guilt that I'm not doing enough. But when I do that, it's almost like saying Jesus didn't do enough for me. It's almost like saying Jesus' death on the cross wasn't quite enough. I've got to supplement that with some good in my life. The gospel tells us that we can rest in God's grace. Like, God is a God of rest. The first week of history, God creates the world, and then he rests. God is a God of rest. He wants us to be able to come before him and just rest in the truth that our salvation is found in Jesus, that the only good is Jesus that we don't have to walk with this burden, that we have to do more, that we have to be better, because Jesus is already enough for us. I did a lot of traveling in my past few years, and I still do for for what I do, talking to different church planters all over the country. And about a year ago, I talked to my wife, and I said, you know, it's hard because I'll go on like a two-day trip, and it's, it's a little bulky to carry around my backpack with all my work stuff, so I have like my laptop and my papers and my iPad and my iPhone because I need every device if I'm leaving the house for 45 minutes. And uh, so I've got my backpack, but then I've also got my carry-on bag, and I'm thinking for a two-day trip, I'm taking two bags with me everywhere. Can we find something that kind of serves as both? So we hopped on Amazon, and my wife found this gift for me, and I read the reviews on it. Let me grab it really quickly. So I found this, and it's like a carry-on backpack right here. And so, like you see, I feel like I'm on QVC all of a sudden. As you can see, we have plenty of storage for your clothes and shoes. And it has, a, it has like a slot for your laptop. It even has a slot, like if you have a tablet that you can slide it in. It's got like a little slot for your charger. And I was like, this is awesome. All right, I'm done being on QVC. I'm going to set this down here. Uh, and I was like, this is great. Everything I need right there. So the first trip, I was really excited to take it with me. Like, for the first time in my life, I was excited about luggage. And that's how you know when you're an adult is when you're excited about luggage. And so I I brought it with me, and I remember about halfway through the first day of the trip, I was really tired because something that the Amazon reviews don't tell you is now you're carrying your luggage around with you everywhere. So, like, instead of dropping off a bag at the hotel and then taking, like, you know, your little smaller bag with you to the coffee shop, wherever you're meeting people. Now, like, I'm carrying my clothes and my toiletries and my shoes around with me everywhere, and, like, I can feel the weight of this everywhere I go, and I'm exhausted. And I didn't really think about it when I bought the backpack, and some people here are like, that's really obvious, but I didn't think about it, and so I was really tired, and I got home after using this thing once, and I told my wife, like, hey, I really appreciate you buying this for me, but I'm exhausted because I've been carrying around my luggage with me everywhere I go. Like, that kind of reminds me of what it's like to walk around with the burden that I'm not doing enough every day. It's like carrying around this piece of luggage on your back, and you're just, you're more tired, you're more exhausted, it takes more effort just to get through a day, and you're just feeling the weight of the world on you. And sometimes it gets even heavier 
as we look at our past or we look at the brokenness in our lives and we think, man, now I've got even more junk in my life that I've got to make up for. And that bag gets heavier and heavier. But Jesus looks at us and he says, the cross was meant for you to leave your burdens behind, not carry them with you. The beauty of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, is that we don't have to carry that with us. He set us free from that. He rescued us from that. In fact, Galatians 2.20, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What this is saying is when we choose to say yes to Jesus and to follow him, we can leave our burdens behind and just follow him, and Jesus will see us as a new person. And that's hard for me because I struggle with the disease of busyness. Like I always feel like I need to be doing more and I need to stay busy. Even when I go to the beach on vacation with my family, I'm thinking about all the things that I want to get done and what I'm leaving behind that I have to get done the next week. And so my wife is thinking, what's the point of this vacation if you're not actually resting? I'm not good at that. I wish I could turn off my brain. When I was in high school, I had a friend that actually could turn off his brain. His name was Ben. And some of the doctors in the room are saying, there's no way you can turn off your brain. Well, you've not met Ben before because I went to the beach with him and he was a friend of our family's and we were on a family vacation. And one night he told us that he could actually turn off his brain. And I thought that that would make him die, but I didn't like him that much. So I was like, okay, well, let's see it. And, uh, and so he, he kind of got comfortable in his chair. Apparently there's like this special posture to turn off your brain. And he just kind of stares forward, and his, his, like, it just goes blank. He's like, <laughs> for like 35 seconds. And then after that, like, we're like shouting in his face. We're like, bam, like smacking him in the head. And he just is like, and then finally after about 35 seconds, he's like, <gasps> and he like looks around like he just woke up abruptly. And we're like, did you hear anything we said? He goes, no, I turned off my brain. I can't do that. Ben could. I can't because I struggle with the disease of busyness. Like I read all these articles about life hacks and being more efficient, and I'll read books about how I can read more in a short amount of time, and it makes me want to be busier. It makes me want to be more, do more with my life. Like you'll never see a New York Times article for somebody that did less. Like you'll never see a New York Times article that celebrates a man takes a Sabbath to be with his family. Like you just don't see that. We don't celebrate that in our country. But the gospel wants to pull us out of this disease of busyness, wants to pull us out of this, this lie that we have to do more so that we can just rest in the truth that Jesus has already done enough for us. See, Galatians reminds me that the story is not even about me and how much I can get done in my life. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. God wants to transform our hearts into something new. And so here's the action step. Two questions for us to ask ourselves. First question, have you invited God's grace into your life and accepted his victory on the cross for your sins? Because that's what it all comes down to. That's the most important question you'll ever answer in your lifetime, is will you follow Jesus? Yes, Jesus has earned the trophy, but we have to take that trophy down and bring it into our lives. God's grace is enough. 
so we don't have to be enough. God's grace is enough to rescue you from your sin, from your burdens, from your addictions, from your brokenness, from your hurt. God's grace is enough. It covers all of that. We don't have to do more because God's already done everything. Second question. Will you let God transform your burdened heart into a restful heart? Some of you are tired, and I'm not talking about like physically tired. I mean, spiritually, we're tired because we feel like we need to be doing more. And we look around at the people around us that are doing great things, and we think, i got to keep up with them. There's, how could God love me as much as that person? It's because we don't understand God's love. It's so much bigger than your behavior. God loves you because he created you. The Bible calls you his beloved creation. Like when God describes you, he says, you are my masterpiece. Like Ephesians 2.10, God calls us his masterpiece. And we can't even fathom that because we have this broken picture of ourselves. God's picture of us is so much more beautiful than our picture of ourselves could ever be. Will you let God transform your burdened heart into a restful heart? When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. Colossians 2, Colossians 3, put on your new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of your creator. I'll close with this story. I love to play basketball, and I used to play a lot more. I don't play as much now because I don't like to fail at things, and I'm not very good. Um, but when I was a kid, I would go to a basketball camp every summer, and I went with my best friend named Mike, and he and I um, went one particular year. This was probably sixth grade. And I loved the basketball camp, not just because of the basketball, but I also loved the fact that we were sleeping in college dorms, which as like a middle school boy, I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And the second thing I loved was that my dorm was directly above the concession stand, which was important to me at that time in my life. And so uh, after we played basketball the first day at the camp, we went to our dorm, then we ran down the concession stand, and we're like loading up on snacks, and we're spending all the money that our parents gave us like in the first hour. And, and this concession stand was maxed out. Like it didn't just have snacks, but it had like toys, and it had like water tattoos. And th in fact, there was a girls' camp that was there the week before us, and so they had like leftover Disney water tattoos from that camp. And my friend dared me to buy Little Mermaid water tattoos and put them on. And as a sixth grade boy, my logic led me to, yeah, of course I'll do that. Why wouldn't I do that? And so I bought the Little Mermaid water tattoos. And I said, but I'm, like, I'm just going to put them like, on my arm so my sleeve covers it. And so I buy five of them. And I put one on my arm. And then I don't know what to do with the other four. So <laughs> just like make a square on my stomach. And so there's like... Ursula, is that from Little Mermaid or is that Frozen? That's Little Mermaid. Uh, Sebastian, Flounder, Ariel. Why do I know all those? I'm a huge Little Mermaid fan, I just realized. So I had all these Little Mermaid tattoos like on my stomach and we laughed about it. And then the next day, um, we went to basketball camp. What I didn't realize was that was a scrimmage day. And what I didn't realize then was that we were going to do shirts versus skins which meant half of us were going to be in skins. And God's grace did not rescue me in that situation. And so my coach points at me and he says, Sergeant, skins! I don't know why he always yelled at me, but he does. And I'm like, not sure what to do in that moment because I have five Little Mermaid tattoos. <laughs> so I kind of go over to the edge of the court and 
like in the corner, <laughs> just defeated. I'm like, my life's over. And like, I realized in that moment that there's no way out of this. Like, there's no excuse when I turn around with Little Mermaid Ted. Like, there's not a valid excuse that people would be like, oh, that's pretty cool. No, they're going to be like, you're a weirdo, man. So, like, I take off my shirt and I just kind of pause. And, like, I've always been a fat guy, so take it off my shirt in public is never something I celebrated anyway. But then you add in Little Mermaid tattoos. This, this is a big moment for me. So, like, I turn around and, like, in my mind I'm hoping that the guys are just kind of going to go with it and they'll be like, ah, Little Mermaid, no way, let's keep playing basketball. That didn't happen. So... Instead, it was kind of the opposite of that, where, like, one by one, people started to notice and point it out and, like, shout at me. And so my coach was first, and immediately, like, the whistle in his mouth drops, and he's like, flounder! And he, like, starts to call me flounder. And, like, this wave goes throughout the gym as people further and further away start to notice, like, the pale fat kid with little mermaid tattoos, and like stop and like they're like driven a basketball and they like stop they're like there's flounder right there like they all know what's going on here and the rest of the week they called me flounder like nobody else called me Stephen from that moment forward in fact my coach forgot my name was Stephen and just called me flounder and they're like what's your real name I'm like it's Stephen and I'd prefer that they're like <laughs> flounder and that, that's what they called me from then on and that's what I was from that point forward. In fact, if you found like, uh, somebody from that camp 15 years later and said, hey, do you remember Stephen Sargent? He went to your basketball camp and he was pretty bad at basketball. He was very forgettable. They're like, no, that name doesn't ring a bell. He sounds worthless. But if you said, do you remember Flounder? And they'd be like, I do. that guy was kind of weird. <laughs> from that moment forward, like instantaneously, I was no longer Stephen. I was flounder. That whole camp called me flounder, and they knew me as that, and my friend that went with me every now and then would joke with me and call me flounder, okay? Like, when I think of, in Galatians, them saying, like, it's saying that God sees you as a new creation from the moment you begin to follow him, I kind of imagine that. Like, he creates a new picture of you. It doesn't mean that he sees you physically as different. It means that spiritually, he looks past the mess and the junk and the sin in our lives, and he chooses to see Jesus in you. He sees you as a new creation. Some of us need to come face to face with Jesus and say yes to Jesus. I want a new life. I want to take off the burdens that come with trying to do enough. I want to be a new creation. Like physically, we don't look any different when we start to follow Jesus. And we still have sin in our lives and we still want to try to get the junk out of our lives. But Jesus already won the championship for us. That's the beauty. Like when I heard as a kid how Jesus was the door, some of us also heard that like the key to open the door is, is the good in our lives. That, that's not the case though. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the key to the door. Jesus is everything. He is our access. He is our free ticket to heaven, no strings attached. We don't have to earn that ticket. We don't have to pay enough for that ticket because Jesus' grace is enough to cover us. Will you let God take your burdened, tired heart and turn it into a restful heart? I just want to close with a moment of prayer. And let's just come before God and... Um,
just pray. And if, if you're somebody who's never, you've never invited God's grace into your life and you feel like today is the day that you want to say yes to Jesus, then I just want you to follow in prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm broken. God, I just want to say yes to you and invite you into my life. I want to accept your grace that covers my sin. God, thank you for saving my soul. Lord, I thank you for each person in here that's just prayed that prayer for the first time. I thank you for each person in here that just needs to come face to face with you, that that just needs to be reminded of the rest we can find in you, God. And I pray that you just work in this time. I pray that, that you just help us to find rest in your grace, God. We love you so much. We thank you for this beautiful day. We pray this in your name. Amen.